Welcome in to another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, General Manager at Wisports.net, and your host each week as we go through all of the topics around the state of Wisconsin on our weekly, mostly weekly, WSN podcast. I don't know if you'll be able to pick it up on the uh, on the pad- podcast this week, recording it in the evening on Wednesday after getting back from a long day, long couple days of WIAA meetings, but a little thunder rolling in the background, some wonderful spring weather we're having once again in the state of Wisconsin. Likely many games on the schedule going to be canceled for tomorrow, Thursday, potentially Friday, maybe the weekend, who knows. Someday we'll get some good weather, some good consistent weather and be able to play games. But until then, a lot of the attention this week was in things that happened off the court, off the field in high school athletics. And that is going to be the bulk of our conversation today. And that is a busy week for the business of the WIAA. Three real significant items that that came about this week, a couple we knew about that were on the schedule, and then one that that came out on, uh, on Monday, a continuation of some various discussions and controversies that had occurred in the winter sports season. So we'll get started with Monday when news came out, courtesy of the Racine Journal Times, excuse me, that the Wisconsin District 2 2 Court of Appeals had rejected an appeal by the WIAA of the, uh, the WIAA's appeal of a ruling from February when Hayden Halter, a wrestler at Waterford, had sued to regain his place in the regional wrestling tournament. He had been uh, issued two unsportsmanlike uh, penalties in the, I believe it was the final of the Southern Lakes Conference meet, and that resulted in him missing his next uh, contest, which would have been the regionals, which would have meant he could not advance to sectionals and could not advance to state. That drew a, a pretty a big amount of attention back in February. Uh, there was a, a, a questionable at best headline in the Racine Journal Times uh, and on Madison.com about, I think, a very unfair characteristic, uh, characterization in that headline of a biased ref. Did a biased ref end the season of Hayden Halter? Uh, very problematic headline, and, and I think a, did a disservice to, to a lot of people and a lot of things for, uh, for that headline to, to be phrased as such, regardless of how you felt about the actual situation. Uh, long story short, the, uh, the wrestler and his family uh, did sue to get back into the WI tournament, and a Racine County Circuit Court judge agreed and let them back in. And it ended up being that he let them in on a technicality because Halter was entered into a JV meet after that varsity conference tournament, entered into a JV meet by Waterford, and they claimed that was his penalty. That was him serving his suspension. Um, questionable tactic at best, something that the WIA had not allowed previously, something that 
uh, was referenced in their uh, NFAQ that they have on their site, two clicks away from their homepage. However, uh, because it was not specifically spelled out, that, that situation was not spelled out in their rules and regulations and constitution, rules of eligibility, the Racine County Circuit Judge took it upon himself to uh, to rule in favor of Halter and allow him back in and uh, I, I think did a disservice, quite honestly. And, and I've said this before, I, I do not agree with that decision. I, it, you, it, it's difficult to have a rule for every exact situation. The WI had interpreted their rules consistently and applied them consistently in the past, had reference to that situation on their site. Um, but quite honestly, it, it sure seems like that the judge disagreed with the official's call and found a loophole, found a technicality to allow Halter to continue to wrestle. The other part of it that he, he referenced, in addition to referencing that he specifically disagreed with the official's decision, uh, but he did reference, and, and I think it was maybe brought up by, by the lawyers for Halter, that uh, the, the rule around if you're suspended or if you get uh, ejected from a contest, you have to sit out the next contest. That language was in a, an insert in the rule book that went out to ADs and coaches, I believe, uh, but it was not technically available on the WIA's website. And so that was another reason that he ruled in Halter's favor. Um, but again, the, the judge did make several comments about disagreeing with the original official's decision and essentially uh, overlooked decades of precedent around the country of courts refusing to overturn officials' decisions on the court, not only in high school athletics, but in college and the NFL. And, and really, uh, from the WIA's perspective, from officials' perspectives, and quite honestly, from my perspective, really opened a Pandora's box of what what can happen now? I don't like the call that uh, an official made, and now I'm going to take it to court. I think that uh, replay showed that this shot got off in time, and the official, in a bang-bang, split-second, tenth of a second uh, situation, did not allow it, uh, whatever. Are, are those things now things that can be brought to court and, and litigated in court? Really dangerous precedent um, in Again, it sure seems like that judge found a technicality to overturn it. Um, now, the WIA closed, uh, I believe, the loophole uh, on that language uh, at t today's annual meeting. And we'll talk about this more in depth a little bit later. But at the annual meeting today, one of their editorial changes that they passed added language to clarify that if you're ejected from a contest... The, set, the suspension that you serve is at the same playing level as you were ejected from. If you're ejected from a varsity contest, you serve your suspension at the next varsity contest. If you're ejected from a JV contest, you serve it at the next JV contest. And in fact, there was a question asked, well, what if I have a JV player in a, in a football game ejected on Monday, and can he play in the varsity game on Friday and then sit out the JV game the following Monday, and the WI said, yes, that's how it would be handled. You serve the suspension at the level that you were ejected from. Because if you think about it, if a kid plays two levels and you know this new rule says you're, you're 
suspended from the level you were disciplined at. If you also have to sit out the varsity contest, then really you're sitting out two games. So understand where they're coming from. It, it does seem odd that you could be ejected, JV, play varsity, and then sit out the next JV game. But long story short, they, they feel like they have closed that loophole. And now the question becomes what happens from here? Uh, I, I don't think the WIA will... This will be the end of the litigation. Uh, as of right now, it is sent back to the Racine County Circuit Court for review, the same judge, the same uh, courtroom that made the original decision. And back then, it was a, uh, a temporary injunction, a you know uh, something that was brought together very quickly. Now, perhaps there can be some more evidence, uh, some more research, some more uh, information presented that will will change things. But Again, if the WIA does not fight this, it does set up the potential for officials' decisions to be litigated in court, and they certainly do not want that. And I have a feeling that if it, it came to it, that if it, it's pressed further, that other organizations, other state associations, the NFHS, potentially college leagues, potentially professional leagues, may join in, provide support for uh, file briefs in, in support of the idea that officials' decisions should not be litigated in court. So we'll see where that goes, but that was the news that came out on Monday. On Tuesday, we knew that there was going to be a Board of Control meeting, a WI Board of Control meeting. Usually the April Board of Control meetings don't have a lot going on. There's no sport regulations to be voted on, usually not too much. This time, though, it did have uh, second consideration of the 2020 football-only conference realignment proposal developed by the Wisconsin Football Coaches Association. And uh, full disclosure, uh, as an executive board member of the WFCA, I was involved on that ad hoc committee that uh, put this plan in, in place uh, over the last almost 18 months that this, uh, this process has been ongoing and, and being worked on. Um, the original proposal was passed in uh, March. There were objections at that time. There were schools that did not like their placement, um, but it did pass nine to two. And on Tuesday at the Board of Control meeting for second consideration, final passage and implementation, there were uh, five schools that did uh, speak at the meeting. Um, I, I can't remember if all of them spoke at the, the March meeting as well, but um, it, it did pass and it was a nine to nothing unanimous vote to be implemented in 2020. Um, so that's that's where we're at now. That, that plan is in place. Now, there are a couple caveats. There are some things that could still be tweaked, some minor tweaks that could occur uh, before 2020. Number one, if, if schools can agree 100%, they can bring it forward. They need to do it very quickly to the, the board of control, to the WIA staff, and if everybody agrees, they'll still consider it. So, for instance, Monona Grove in the new proposal is in the Badger Small. They're the largest school in the Badger Small. They would like to be in the Badger Large. If they can find a school in the Badger Large to switch with, which it sounds like they may be able to, they can bring that forward. And if everybody's in agreement, the WI Board of Control has said they will consider that for passage, and it would be part of the 2020 plan, not necessarily having to wait until... Uh, the next round of changes in 2022. 
there is also a uh, some concern about uh, Menominee, Michigan was placed in a conference, in a Wisconsin conference, the Northeastern, I believe it was. Um, the state of Michigan Association has denied that, though. Uh, they are they are saying that Menominee, Michigan, has to play at least four games against Minnesota school or Michigan schools, which they would not be able to do if they were part of the Northeastern Conference. But Menominee, Michigan, is in a very very tough spot. They only have five teams in their conference in the UP, and they just can't find games, and they're begging for games. And so this would have been an opportunity where there was a a hole to be filled in the state of Wisconsin. It's not. It's not like this change was going to be made just to provide relief for Menominee, Michigan. That's not what it was. It was, well, we have a hole to fill. We have a, a something that needs to happen, so we're going to utilize Menominee, Michigan, who's looking for an option to uh, to fill this spot. I, I believe Menominee, Michigan, is going to appeal that decision of the uh, MHSAA. However, if that fails in in the uh, Michigan Association will not let them in, then that is going to need to be adjusted. Uh, there might be a couple moves that need to be made very quickly, again, uh, to avoid uh, a situation where the rest of those schools in that conference would have a, uh, a hole in their schedule, essentially, and only have six conference games, which is not the, uh, the design and the goal of the proposal. So maybe a few little things could be tweaked, but the plan itself does get passed unanimously, nine to nothing by the Board of Control. Um, around 5% formal objections, either uh, objections that were heard at the March meeting and or at the April meeting. There were some schools that that only submitted uh, letters of, uh, of information, and those varied. You know, some of them were very vehement objections, and you understand the situations that those schools were in and why they, excuse me, why they would object to it. But there were some other schools where, you know, they just kind of said, "Well, we'd we'd prefer to be somewhere else." It wasn't as as strenuous. It wasn't as uh, as significant of an issue for them as as some of the other uh, objectors. So again, passes implemented in 2020. Um. You can find all the details at wisports.net. You can see the plan, where the placements are going to be, and uh, and we get to move forward. So uh, looking forward to how that's going to work, how, how things are going to work under that plan with uniformity, standardization of games, uh, conference games, of uh, the number of teams in a conference, the uh, interesting non-conference opportunities it's going to present where everybody will play two non-conference games already have have heard of uh, some some really exciting contests that are going to be taking place between teams um, that wouldn't have been able to play before some of these schools were in closed conferences etc so looking forward to some of those uh, those schedules coming out for 2020 but again now we move forward the other uh, big item the final big item on the agenda this week was the annual meeting the WI's annual meeting in Stevens Point at the Holiday Inn and Convention Center. Uh, every school is encouraged strongly to attend for whatever reason. Not every school does. Don't ask me why. I mean, it's your, the, the WIA asks two, two dates a year to, uh, to, to be involved in the association at either an area meeting in the fall and or 
the annual meeting in April. Uh, I think the final count was like 397 for number of uh, schools there. So over 100 schools just flat out didn't show up, which, again, boggles my mind, but we'll save that for a different ran of the week. Uh, the last couple of years, the annual meeting has not had a lot of fireworks. We've had a lot of fireworks in the past. If you think back a few years ago during the uh, height of the multiplier uh, debate, um, for two years there, you had the multiplier, you had the all of the maneuverings at that meeting. That was that was crazy. That was a crazy day with uh, a lot of impassioned speeches, a lot of uh, parliamentary procedures, a lot of having to understand and know Robert's rules of order, a lot of um, just craziness. That and that meeting lasted a long time. Uh, but the last few meetings have been pretty tame. There hadn't really been that kind of hot topic, big ticket type item on the agenda. But this year there were a couple. There were two amendments in particular that had been kind of, they're not knee-jerk reactions because you know some of them had been talked about for a while, but really had come to the surface in the last year, had kind of boiled over. And, and the WIA said, all right, well, here's our opportunity for you to have your input. Uh, schools did have input at the area meetings last fall. These were topics of discussion then and uh, ended up on the agenda. I was kind of surprised about the lack of discussion today, though, to be quite honest with you. I thought the uh, the pre-existing athletic relationship and the felony rule, which I'll, I'll detail a little bit more in a minute, but um, I, I thought those would be kind of more, draw more uh input. There really wasn't much. Um, I don't know if people had their minds made up. I don't know if people maybe didn't see them as big a deal as we thought. Uh, either way, all the amendments on the, uh, on the agenda passed except Amendment 6. And, and we'll jump to that one because some of the other ones, quite honestly, were almost more editorial type stuff, didn't really impact things. And the votes reflected that where they were you know, three against, three against, six against, etc. So we'll skip ahead to Amendment 6. And that dealt with the, uh, the idea of pre-existing athletic relationships. You can call it the Nicolay rule. I did. Um, when Jalen Johnson, Kobe Johnson, Desmond Polk, James Graham tra- all transferred to Nicolay High School, um, where Jamari Sibley was their AAU teammate, it didn't sit well with people. Uh, There was a lot of discussion. There was a lot of angst. There was a lot of objections from coaches, from fans, from uh, what have you about this isn't right. Uh, A super team, uh, essentially an AAU team getting together, it doesn't seem right. And so, uh, again, it was a topic of discussion at the area meetings last fall. The WIA uh, talked about this rule specifically, which is borrowed from a rule that was implemented in in Michigan a few years ago, and by the way, withstood a court challenge in Michigan, and there were several instances of this rule being applied, but uh, it essentially said that if you have a pre-existing athletic relationship with a, uh, a coach, with a parent, administrator, an athlete from the new school that you're transferring to, 
that could be playing on an AAU team, a club team, a club hockey team, club baseball team, private sc- uh, skill instruction, summer contact at the new school, etc., uh, then you're not eligible. Um, again, it was a way to prevent the super teams from being formed and, and the idea that, uh, is that right? And so, uh, you know, as, as the discussions unfolded at the area meetings last fall, and even some of the discussions and, and comments today from the administrators, from, uh, from folks that, that were following along on Twitter, you know, I think the, the application and the, and the rule itself was a lot simpler than, than maybe what people assumed or were, were making it out to be. Um, you know, there was kind of this consternation of, well, how are we ever going to track this? How, you know, how, how are we going to make this work? Well, quite honestly, and Wade Lebecki said this, it, it would be easier for him to administrate as the, the one that deals with waivers and eligibility, et cetera. It'd be a lot easier for him to administer than the current transfer rules, than the current re- recruiting rules, because this has a, a pretty simple definition, a pretty simple way to track uh, they also were going to be putting together a form that all transfer students, all players that were transferring and, and submitting for uh, waivers potentially uh, would have to fill out that said, do you have any existing pre-existing athletic relationships? If so, describe them here. Um, and it, it would have been uh, in their eyes and in, in, in Wade's eyes, the WIA's eyes to a large extent, a lot easier than what they have been doing. And by the way, there were some questions that I got. And just to clarify a few things, it only applied to relationships when the student was in grades 9 through 12. So if you played 8th grade AAU with somebody and then you transferred the next year to that school where that other kid was playing, this does not apply. It does not apply until you are in ninth grade. Also, camps and, and camp instruction do not count as a pre-existing athletic relationship. So if you go to a UW Platteville camp, and one of the the counselors there is the the coach at uh, Smith High School, and you end up transferring there. That's not a pre existing athletic relationship. It would have to have been a long term club team, private instruction, etc. Camps and, and camp instruction would not have been uh, in there. So, in my predictions that I did on Monday, I I had a feeling that this was not going to pass, and in fact, it did not pass. It failed by a vote of 239 against 150 in favor. I'm a little bit surprised at the margin of defeat in that one. Um, I thought it would have been a little bit closer. Uh, you know, keep in mind that there are already transfer rules, recruiting rules, undue influence rules that still apply, but are very difficult to enforce, very difficult to improve to prove. The WIA has no subpoena power. They can't force people to talk. They know what's happening, but they can't prove what's happening a lot of the times. Um, as Wade told us in our, our podcast interview uh, last week, I believe it was, uh, he gets lied to multiple times a day when, in, in August when he's reviewing all of these waiver requests. Um, sometimes he finds out and, and they, they handle it. Uh, but a lot of times, even if they know people are lying, they can't do anything about it. Uh, a, a lot of times when recruiting or undue influence is proven and is uh, dealt with, it's because the person that was involved kind of got the short end of the stick. You, you know, they were promised, if, if you come to this school, 
Uh, you're going to get all this playing time. We're going to do all this stuff for you, whatever. And you know, if, if that relationship sours, they don't get the, pr- the playing time, they get into it with a coach, whatever, then all of a sudden they start to sing a little bit and, and tell the story of what happened. And that's where a lot of times the, uh, the WI does find out and can prove some of those recruiting and, and transfer uh, violations. But again, uh, Wade said this, this rule would have made his job actually a lot easier, but it doesn't pass. And I got several questions at the meeting or, or after the meeting uh, from administrators in attendance, also uh, folks on, on Twitter and social media, well, why didn't it pass? And, uh, you know, I, I think a few things kind of played into it. I think some of the small schools, maybe a lot of the small schools, just didn't think it would impact them. There's kind of this idea in small schools that, well, we don't have transfers. It doesn't impact us. There's no movement so it doesn't matter to us. Well, even if you, you don't have anybody in your conference or, or your rival school that transfers and you know this, this could apply potentially, it could and likely will at some point have a situation where a, a different quote-unquote super team is formed that might prevent you from getting to the state tournament, might prevent you from winning a state title. So yeah, it, it can impact you. Um, I think some of the big schools have accepted and in some cases embraced and encouraged large-scale player movement, and they don't want to stop that flow of players. Uh, Nicolet got a lot of the attention, but in my eyes, the one that opened my eyes the most was the article that Mark Miller did, uh, I think early fall, maybe, I can't remember exactly when, about all of the transfers in the Fox Valley Association. Almost every school had transfers in, transfers out. There was a ton of player movement. And people kind of had this idea that, you know, maybe it's not happening here or or whatever, but transfers and open enrollments and things like that are happening a lot more than I think people understand and appreciate. Um but again, I think there's some of the large schools that just think it's okay. They, they, they think, you know, if, if I can build a super team, well, that's okay. Uh, so I think those maybe played a factor in it. The small schools just don't think it impacts them, even though I think it will and could. And the big schools have just kind of accepted the player movement. Uh, so here we are. It, it doesn't pass. It's not going to end the discussion. Just like the multiplier a few years ago, when the multiplier failed and the reducer failed and the success factor failed and uh, the urban rural failed and whatever else, it, it didn't stop the discussions. It hasn't stopped the complaints and the uh, you know the the ideas of competitive equity. This isn't going to stop the complaints. It isn't going certainly isn't going to stop the transfers themselves. And I think it only uh, increases from here. Transfers have increased dramatically in the last decade since I've been doing this. Even, you know, the the original transfer rule that was put in place, the Corey Lucius rule, even since that time, it has increased uh, multiple times over. So um, this isn't the end of it. And, you know, quite honestly, I think the schools missed a chance to to plug a hole in the dam of uh, the flow of players and and everything else. You know, it... uh, I think this rule 
probably would have come into play a lot less than people thought. You know, everybody thought, well, the, what about the family that moves and, and, you know, dad gets a new job and whatever else? Well, I, I don't think those fact, those transfers a lot of times would have been in, impacted by this. Um, you know, this, this would have curtailed some of the more questionable transfers. Uh, the ones where you look at it and you know that it's athletically motivated, that, uh, you know, there's an attempt to, I want to play with this group of players. I want to make this super team. And it kind of leaves the WIA at a crossroads. I think they're in a similar spot to maybe where the NCAA was just a couple years ago when the NCAA was dealing with and, and looking at transfer rules and what, what do you do? And, and they kind of got to the point, and I think the WIA is at the point where they've either got to tighten them up and they failed at a chance to do that here, or they've got to loosen them. Uh, you can't, I don't think you can maintain the status quo. There's just too much going on. Um, you've either got to make it easier or you've got to make it harder. And it seems the WIA, just like the NCA has the last couple of years, the, the WIA is going in the direction of making it easier, loosening some of the standards. They've, uh, they've addressed transfers at the last few uh, area meetings in some form on a much smaller scale. Even you look at this year, they, they passed a uh, amendment, which will probably impact a dozen or a couple dozen kids all year. But if you never played sports before and you transfer from one school and you want to go out for sports at your new school, you don't have any restrictions. Trying to encourage kids to participate. Maybe you went to a big school, you never were going to make the team, so you didn't even try. Well, now you transfer to a smaller school. You think you've got a shot. You want to make some new friends. Okay, you can transfer now without uh, without restriction. So they've they've done some small steps to loosen things up. And and uh, the WI has said before, within the rules, they want to find ways to make players eligible to play. And I think that's a a great way to look at it. I think that's a, a, an admirable admirable way to look at it. Uh, trying to give kids the opportunity to play. I also think that you do have to have regulations in place uh, to make sure that there's not issues in taking advantage of, etc. Again, I understand both sides. I don't like the idea of super teams. I don't like the idea of, well, I'm just going to uh, get together with these four guys. We're going to go to this school. We're going to displace four other kids that would have been playing in that school. We're going to leave our, our former teammates high and dry. I get that. I, I don't like it. But I also look at it from, well, if the state of Wisconsin says I can go to school at this school, I fulfilled all the obligations of transferring, of open enrolling, whatever it may be. If the state of Wisconsin says I can go here, why am I not able to take advantage of all of the activities that this school offers? So I, I have kind of a conflict, um, but sports are a privilege, not a right. That idea has been upheld by multiple court cases that have agreed that schools, associations, etc., can have rules around eligibility and conduct and transfers, that those are okay, that, that sports and athletics can be held to a higher standard in some of those uh, some of those ideas. So again, this, this discussion is not going to end, but I do think that 
This may be a, a bit of a missed opportunity today. Which brings us to Amendment 7, the other kind of noteworthy uh, item on the agenda, and that was the felony rule. And of course, this is, you have to look at it as a uh, reaction to the Deontay Long situation at Milwaukee, Washington last year, where he had been convicted of a felony. And according to his school's code of conduct, he only had to sit out, I think it was two contests after being convicted of a felony. Um, he sat out those contests in cross country. He's a Division One basketball prospect. Did not miss a game in basketball except for the out-of-state games that his uh, he was not able to travel to uh, by uh, order of the court. Um, but he wasn't suspended in basketball. Milwaukee Washington made it to the state tournament. He played with an ankle monitoring uh, device. And that really... Uh, led to a lot of criticism, a lot of negative feedback of the WIA and why is this okay? Why has this happened? Um, and, and that's where this discussion, this rule is coming out of. Again, discussed at the area meetings last fall. Um, I thought it would be a pretty easy thing to, to look at and, and try to close a loophole uh, because right now there is no rule on the WIA books that says, anything about being a felon convicted or otherwise and being able to play it schools do have to have minimum codes of conduct however the WIA largely leaves what that co code of conduct says what the penalties are etc largely leaves that up to the schools to decide up to local control they have to have uh, again minimums but it's not standard across the state there's some some schools where you get a drinking ticket you get a one game suspension some schools you get a 50 50% of the season suspension. So kind of off topic a little bit, but there have been discussions around standardizing what the code of conduct should be for all athletes in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, but in terms of this situation specifically, again, a lot of criticism levied at the WIA for not doing anything about it. Uh, but I, I think a lot of people looked at it and said, well, what about the coach? What about the school? What about... Uh, you know, MPS, uh, they could have done something about it as well. But the the, the WIA is, uh, you know, the easy target uh, the last few years got a lot of that criticism. So uh, there were discussions at the area meetings uh, last fall, some concerns, and, and maybe a, a few more concerns than I had anticipated about this. I, I thought it was pretty, pretty simple and straightforward. Uh, but there was concerns about different parts of the state or different district attorneys prosecuting uh, crimes differently. You know, the same crime that's committed in Milwaukee is uh, perhaps going to be prosecuted differently, charged differently than that same crime in Barron or Rice Lake or Reedsburg or Appleton. Um, there was also discussion about whether any penalty for this should be just for the tournament. Should it be for all games? Ultimately, the rule... Uh, that was pre uh, presented uh, was for all games. There were some people that just felt it was overly punitive that, you know, uh, those those kids should not have to miss any time that, um, you know, they, uh, they're just kids and they make mistakes and what have you. And I, I, I have a problem with that, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, if a kid makes a mistake and is caught toilet papering or they make a mistake and you know, they're drinking at a party, whatever. Um, that's a little different than being charged with a felony uh, 
felonies are pretty serious. That that kind of goes without saying, right? Uh, so maybe they should carry a little bit different punishment, if you will, penalty, uh, a better way to put it. So the rule as presented did pass. It passed by a good amount, 335 to 52. Uh, and it says that any student charged and or convicted of a felony shall, upon the filing of felony charges, become ineligible for all further participation until a student has paid his or her debt to society and the courts consider the sentence served. So they have to fulfill all the requirements of the of the court, uh, whether that's jail time, community service, probation, whatever. Um, if a felony charge is dismissed, then that student regains their eligibility. Uh, it was interesting to note, um, uh, Wade Lebecki, uh, when asked today, said that if a felony was charged and they pled down to a misdemeanor, that they would still consider that uh, a still consider that that player suspended and needing to fulfill all requirements of the sentence in order to uh, then become eligible. Just because it's pled down to a misdemeanor does not mean that the uh, player regains eligibility right away. So again, the rule passes. I, I think it's a common sense. Uh, rule that, uh, again, it goes back to the idea that sports are a privilege, not a right, that it's okay for athletes to be, uh, you know, held to a higher standard. Um, and if you're charged with or convicted of a felony, again, that's serious stuff. Uh, and, and this, uh, this deals with it accordingly. Doesn't prevent the situation from last year. Doesn't, uh, you know, put the cat in the bag that way. It doesn't uh, uh, get the, the criticism off the back of the WIA, but it's in place for the future. And quite honestly, this is not the first time that a player has been charged with a or convicted of a felony and continued to participate. So it's not like Deontay Long was the first one. It was the one that kind of brought it to the forefront, but uh, not, not the first one necessarily. If you look over the rest of the, uh, the the items on the annual meeting agenda, again, a lot of the other amendments were rather mundane, to <laughs> to to put it uh, uh, one way. Uh, again, there was a an editorial change that added that language about a uh, suspension. Uh, if you are disqualified from a contest, the suspension has to be served at the same level of competition as the disqualification. If I'm disqualified from a varsity event a varsity contest, I have to serve that suspension at the next varsity contest. I can't claim to be a JV player and now I set out the next JV game and now I can play varsity again. So it closed that loophole. But otherwise, uh, a pretty short meeting, to be honest with you. We were out of there by 10.30ish, quarter to 11. Um, again, not as much discussion, even on these kind of hot topic type of things that uh, that I thought there might be. So We'll take it. We'll, we'll take it. Not even any, any discussion about competitive equity, uh, surprisingly. Um, you know, it's, it's boiling under the surface, but not anything imminent right now. I, I'm, I'm sure it'll be brought up if it's not on the agenda directly at the area meetings again to kind of see, gauge the, the membership, you know, take the temperature of the membership, see where they're at and uh, what they want to do going forward. But, um, we're kind of status quo right now. 
it, w- it was interesting reading some of the comments on our Facebook page on uh, when we posted the article today about the uh, the transfer stuff not passing. And for some reason, I, I don't know why, some people still come back to the competitive equity and the private school stuff. I don't know what this rule had to do with private schools because it applies to all students the same, the pre-existing athletic relationship rule. Uh, but if, of course, we had to, had to have some people chime in like they do on pretty much anything related to the WIA uh, about, well, why can't private schools have their own division? And my favorite, which is going to be my rant of the week, which I haven't done in a while, but I'm bringing it back because this one just gnaws at me. And I've seen it posted on our Facebook page a few times. I've heard it. People say it. I've, I've seen people on Twitter say it. Well, private schools keep enrollments down to stay in smaller sports divisions. Let's think about that for a second. A private school, which relies significantly on tuition income from students, is going to intentionally turn away those students and intentionally turn away tens of thousands of dollars long-term, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars, so that they can stay in a division for sports when a lot of the sports you don't know your division until each year. Yeah. It doesn't make sense, does it? But, <laughs> I mean, that's that's the kind of ideas that are out there. That's the kind of myth that, that people propagate. Um, I, I've thought about doing a, uh, a private school, urban, rural, public, private, however you want to frame the debate, uh, myth busting article sometime to just lay out all of the various, uh, conspiracy theories and myths that I've, I've heard over the years and, you know, what, uh, just how they're not really the case. So again, private schools, um, turning away tens of thousands of dollars all to stay in a smaller sport division to have a slightly better chance of winning a state championship or getting to state or however people want to want to frame it. It's not happening, folks. <laughs> it's not happening. Um, just leave it alone. <laughs> that, that's not the case. I'm sure I'll be called a, a private school apologist after this, but that's okay. I can deal with it. So a lot going on. Again, off the court, off the, the field, in the uh, the business of the WIAA this week. I think we pretty well summed up a lot of the discussions, a lot of the uh, the, the pertinent things from uh, from a busy week in the, in the WIAA news. Next week, we'll, we'll try to get back to some of the on-court stuff, on-field stuff weather permitting. If, uh, if mother nature lets us get back to a full schedule, we'll see how it goes though. Um, few items, few housekeeping items. We have our WFCA combine coming up next week. So be sure to check out all of the, the coverage of that results, etc. There are a limited number of spots available. If people do want to sign up still speaking of signing up our, uh, tournaments, our basketball tournaments that we're launching this year, uh, signups are, are ongoing for those coming along very well and, uh, and get yourself signed up the Beaver Dam tournaments, the boys and girls tournaments, the 15th and 16th girls are the 15th boys are the 16th of June at Beaver Dam, uh, 
really looking for those to be kind of marquee events. Get signed up as soon as you can. Beautiful facility at Beaver Dam, five courts in one gym, brand new facility. And then uh, what we're calling the Northern Exposure Classic. We People accuse us sometimes of, of uh, not paying enough attention, not giving enough due to teams from the North. Well, here's a chance. <laughs> we're, we're holding a tournament at DC Everest uh, outside of Wausau. We're gearing it towards schools from the North. We want to see you there. We want to have you be able to be seen by our staff, by Mark Miller, Norbert Durst, um, July 27th at DC Everest High School. Get signed up for that. Again, we'll, we'll wrap things up. This, is, uh, this has been a Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson. We'll see you at a game.